0: it's true she's the the volume is strong with this one amen praise God <laughs> she does she does she's gonna take over the world someday for Jesus amen praise God she was, doing in the aisle. was she really I believe it I believe that yeah I mean I she's a force man she's I'm just glad I'm saved. You know what I'm saying? I got the Lord. She's smarter than me. Her will's stronger than mine. You know, it's praise the Lord, man. It's all good, though. No. Praise God. But um, and b- because you know, I mean, you know that you could have learned something in the scriptures, and it was taught to you, but it was not. It didn't actually work in your life. And so because it didn't actually work in your life, that, can we turn the monitors down? This monitor's like buzzing and crackling over here towards me. Because it didn't work, necessarily work in your life, then what can happen is, is when that subject is talked about, it can bring a sense of uh, disappointment or bring a sense of frustration. And, um, and what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about the subject of faith, the subject of believing. Um, you know, I spent the first... I would say, probably 14 years of my uh, born-again experience um, just trying to get more faith, trying to get more faith, trying to get more faith, trying to get more faith. And we just never could seem to get enough faith. I'm just going to unplug it. It's cool. That always works. (laughs) No matter what you're dealing with just unplug it. Um, But we were always trying to get faith, and we felt like we had to have enough faith to get God to move on our behalf. We had to have enough faith to um, get the promises to work. And and at the end of the day, it just kind of felt like God was just this kind of, or the way it was presented to me, and maybe it wasn't your experience, but God was just kind of like this mean, disgruntled God who's just waiting on you to get enough faith coins before he was going to actually do something for you. And so I learned faith that way. And what it did was it actually developed, uh, it caused, it brought a lot of performance into my life and made me try to perform for God and try hard and do enough and kind of always felt like I was in a position of not really possessing what God had given, but always trying to, to perform enough in order to feel like I was worthy in order to get it. And so what ended up happening was is we, we turned something that was supposed to be beautiful and easy into something very difficult. And... Um, into something that it created a lot of performance-based Christianity. And so, you know, we would look at the people who supposedly had great faith, and we kind of idolized them and looked up to them and wished we could be like them, but the rest of us were just kind of like peons, and, you know, we just didn't have as much faith as they did. And so we would just try to go to church more. We would try to read our Bibles more, and we would try so hard to get faith. And, man, I tell you what, when I was first saved, man, I mean, we were in church you know, we would have three-hour services on average. And we, we'd go to church on Tuesday. We, we'd, go to, we'd go to a different church on Wednesday. And then we'd go to church on Friday. And we'd go to church on Sunday. And a lot of times we'd have outreaches on Saturday. So I was in church so much that I didn't really even have time to have a life. The church became my life. And uh, how many old church is supposed to complement your life. It's not supposed to be your life. And, uh, and that's what I've really endeavored to do here at Grace Point was create an environment where there wasn't this sense of competition, there wasn't this sense of jockeying for position or anybody being better than anybody else, but we would just come together and fill up our tanks so that we could actually minister outside of the church, because most ministry is supposed to be outside of the church, not in the church. We come in here to get filled up and we serve each other in love. But we were always trying to get faith because you know the the thing that was kind of drummed into our heads. Well, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and so that's all we did, man. So I mean, we just we were constantly in church, we were constantly reading our Bibles, but what ended up happening is we didn't really ever we didn't have much faith uh, because we were actually going about it the wrong way. Faith was turned into this legalistic activity of trying to twist God's arm, and um, faith really is a very simple thing. Faith just receives the already present grace. Faith just says thank you for what God's already done. And we turned it into this spiritual Olympics where we were trying to out-faith each other and people would brag about how much faith they had and then it just turned into something that really God never intended. The Bible says in Romans that God gave us faith so that nobody could brag. Like the whole purpose of faith is so no one could brag because Everybody in this room, none of us here have ever earned anything from God. Everything that comes from God is a gift, and it's free through Jesus Christ. And so faith really is just your thank you to God and receiving what he's already given. Um, And it's it's supposed to be a simple thing, but we turned it into something that was very very toxic. And And then I got a hold of grace, and so then I started just really listening to grace and, and, and being aware of grace and really begin to focus on grace a lot. And, and what I actually found happening was is that as I focused on grace, I actually started to have faith. And I had a, a, a faith that I'd never had um, just focusing on faith. But then we, we focused on grace, so, or at least I did, maybe some other people did too, we focused on grace so much um, that we never we just kind of got lazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, ah, it's finished, it's done. I'm just going to sit down and eat a cookie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and so then it, grace became such a focus that, and then it became out of balance again. And the reality is is we're not supposed to just have faith and we're not supposed to just have grace. We're actually supposed to have both. And, and, and when faith and grace are working together properly, then we're receiving the things that God has already provided and let me. And, and the important thing to understand about faith, faith does not move God. God has already moved. Yes. God's sitting down, and God's work is finished. Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. 2,000 years ago, the work is finished. Now, the Spirit of God is still in the earth trying to persuade us and convince us of truth and the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. So we have the Spirit of God and we have the Scriptures, but faith does not move God. <clears throat> Fasting does not move God. God is already moved. And the way that I'll lay that out to you, which I think really is a great example to help you understand it, because we always thought we had to have enough faith to move God. And if we had enough faith, we would please God and God would do great things and all this type of stuff, but that that's the wrong dynamic. It's actually already finished. And so I'll say it to you like this. It'd be the same thing as me calling, me coming into church this morning, before anybody got here, all the lights are off, and be calling KU Electric Company and being like, hey, listen, I need y'all to come turn these lights on. The lights aren't on. Why aren't the lights on? I need y'all to turn these lights on. Y'all need to get over here and turn these lights on. Now, how many know that they probably just hang up on me, because their job is to not, their, their job is not to turn the lights on. Their job is to supply the power so that I can turn the lights on and see lights, Yeah, it's a good one. Um, God has supplied all the power through the cross. Your faith just plugs into an already present grace. You're not trying to move God. You're not trying to get God to do something for you. You're not trying to twist his arm. You're not trying to get him to feel sorry for you. No, God's done everything that he's ever going to do concerning your victory. And if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior you have all the power of God on the inside of you right now. You're not trying to chase it down through a conference. You're not trying to get it from somebody else. You have all of Jesus that you're ever going to get right now. Now, the issue is plugging into and turning that power source on. And that's where, that's where faith comes in. And there's this relationship between grace and faith. But never think that you're trying to get enough faith chips to move God because if that's your mindset, then you're going you're gonna to slowly not like God. And you're going to get disgruntled towards him. Because in your mind you're thinking, well, God, if it, if it were you, I'd do it for you. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this person get healed? Why didn't this financial breakthrough happen? Why wasn't this? Why, 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 why? And then what, it, what happens is with that type of concept of, of, of faith, then slowly you start to come to the conclusion that maybe God's not actually good. And he doesn't do good. He just does good for some. Just people that check enough boxes, go to church enough, all these types of things. But the reality is, is that God is not holding back anything from anybody in this room ever. And it's all for free through Jesus. And the key with faith and the key with grace is Jesus. Jesus is actually the key to all of these things. And so we're going to talk a little bit about... Faith from that context because I've been studying this for over 20 years and I actually finally think I'm finally starting to understand it (laughs) within the past few weeks. (laughs) Amen. All right, it's true though. (laughs) So, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 it says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. And so faith, now the greatest element of overcoming is that you would have eternal life. Can I get an amen? As people that have believed in Jesus, how many know you have overcome death? Yes. And, and I'm telling you, and death is the greatest enemy. And to be born again and to have eternal life is the ultimate victory. Yes. So if, you're, if you you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, you already won. But God also wants to bring some additional victory into your life and he wants to help you to overcome certain situations and certain circumstances. And faith is the avenue in which this overcoming happens. So faith sometimes produces and you plug into the power source and you have this instantaneous victory. You have this miracle. You have something that happens and things change. Can I get an amen? Isn't it wonderful when that happens? And then sometimes you're going through the storm and the storm doesn't seem like it's going to stop. And your faith is not something that plugs in and gets this instantaneous victory. Your faith trusts God through the wind and the waves. Because going to the other side is a process of relationship and trust. And sometimes the greatest thing your faith can do, your, and faith is not this new age concept of faith. Really faith is just trust. We're just trusting in God. Is to not get offended at God when things don't go the way that he said it would. And trusting him in the process. Because there are times when God changes the circumstance. And then there are times when God is changing us. I've had both types of development. I've had developments where I was immediately to the other side. And I had the victory, and I had the testimony, and I had the hallelujah. And then I've had times when uh, that storm seemed like it was going to last a really long time. And as that storm raged, and and I remained trusting that he was good, something inside of me changed. So that when I got to the other side, I was a different man than what I was when I first started. Because I had something called perseverance. Perseverance. See, perseverance is one of the greatest things that can develop in your life. We we live in a culture where we want everything right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. The kingdom's not like that. The kingdom's like, it's like a mustard seed. It's something that's planted and grown over a period of time. And um, perseverance is when you are trusting God when things don't look like they're going the way that he said that it was going to go in your life. And that may be scripturally, and that may be something that God has spoken to you personally. There is no one who's ever done anything for God that didn't have a period of time where they had to wait and trust God. Nobody. Nobody hit the planet running. Jesus, the Son of God included. just had 30 powerless years. 30 years of being unknown and mocked as the bastard son of Joseph. Judged, condemned mocked for 30 years nothing right but when the said time came how many of you know there was development happening even in Jesus in that 30 year period of time the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man see God's not, God's not looking for you to win the spiritual lottery God's looking to develop you as a son to develop you as a daughter can I get an amen amen Because the relationship that you have in this life isn't just going to stay in this life. You're going to be a son and a daughter in the next life too. And so there's a special place of development when you trust a God that you can't physically see. Now the day and time will come when you can see him and the dynamic of your relationship is going to change. Everybody in this room, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see him. You're going to see him. Amen? And that's going to be awesome, but not as awesome as us that believe without seeing. The development of your relationship with God right now is special and unique and different. So we have to understand that when we're going through trials when we're going through challenges and things aren't lining up with the way that we thought that they were going to happen. From my personal experience, when it comes to God, things never happen the way you think they're going to happen. Ever. No, right. Has anyone ever had a moment when it all happened just the way you thought it was going to? I mean, never for me, bro. Never. And, I'm, I, and my thought process is it probably never happened like that for David or Joseph or Daniel or anybody. No one thought it was going to happen that way, right? But the, but the thing about it is, is we're developing faith. We're developing trust. We're developing a relationship. See, relationship doesn't mean much without trust. See, Ethan, you know, he's... Turning 18 pretty soon. Hallelujah. We brought a cake. We're going to sing happy birthday today. We're going to eat cake. He's a grown man. His voice is deep. It's amazing. (laughs) I know. It's amazing. But like if I tell Ethan, hey, we're going to go to the store later and get ice cream. He immediately has peace. Because he knows that what what I say I'm going to do. What is that? Relationship. Right? If I tell Lily, two years old that we're going to get ice cream later on that day? No peace. <laughs> because Lily has not learned how to trust my words like Ethan has. Me and Ethan, we got 18 years of developed relationship, of me following through doing what I say I'm going to do. He knows he can trust what I say, right? Lily, she want that ice cream right now, right? And so I say all that to say this. How many, you know In your relationship with God... Many times we all want the promises, we want the the miracles, we want all the stuff now, and God is more concerned about your relationship with Him than He is concerned about the miracles or even the promises. Can I get an amen? Because your relationship with Him is actually more valuable than the things that He can do for you. I'm going to say that a couple more times. His relationship with you is more valuable than the things He can do for you. I'm going to say it one more time. His relationship with you is more valuable to Him than what he can do for you. Amen? Amen. And so there's a development of faith. Jesus is the author and he's the finisher finisher of our faith. Mark chapter 9, just looking at a couple concepts on faith. And so if you've been taught faith and it left a bad taste in your mouth and it left you frustrated, because I know some people just want to walk away from concepts of faith as a result of their experience. But, I mean, just because somebody taught you incorrectly you learn incorrectly doesn't mean there's not a right way to do it. And and I feel like we're in a place in the body of Christ where we can bring grace and faith together and we can actually enjoy what God intended to provide for us. We shouldn't focus too much on faith and we shouldn't focus too much on grace. We should focus a whole lot on Jesus. Amen. And within Jesus, Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith and Jesus is filled with grace and truth. And so there's this, in him, grace and faith meet to create these beautiful places of relationship and faith and trust. But Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about faith. Jesus ministered a lot about faith. Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So believing has a way of opening a doorway into possibilities in your life into impossible things becoming possible. How many times every time God took somebody somewhere, was going to do something with somebody in the scriptures, he it didn't matter how big the giants were. It didn't matter how big the storm was. It didn't matter how big the challenge was, it didn't matter the armies that were coming against him. If God could just find somebody on earth who would trust that he was faithful and that he was good and that he would walk with them, how many of that person always overcame. There was never a time when the battle was too strong for God. There was never a time when the giant was too strong for God. There was never a time when the storm was too strong for God. How I mean, of you know, death itself wasn't too strong for God? Sin wasn't too strong for God. There's ne- nothing is too strong for God. But God just wants us to trust that He's that good, He's that big, He's that strong, and that He's that faithful. That's really all He wants. And so... Believing opens a doorway for all types of impossible things to become possible. And so, and then let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. Once again, Jesus ministered a lot about faith. Um, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. According to your faith, let it be to you. So Jesus let them know, I'm full of power, and I'm here to heal, and I'm here to set free, but you trusting in me as your Savior and your hero is important for that power to flow out of me and into your situation and into your circumstance. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And, and, and so there is something about believing and trusting that opened the doorway for these things to happen. Um, and then Matthew 17 and verse 20, um, Jesus here is once again talking about Faith, can we turn the AC on just a little bit, please? Not enough to freeze everybody out. Just a, just a touch. Just give me just a little. I had a Thursday night a couple couple weeks ago that I preached in here, and I froze everybody, man. And I had to repent, man, because <laughs> if I'm cold, I know everybody else is like, you know, believing God not to have hypothermia, you know. So, <laughs> praise God, I've I've apologized enough. But just give me just give me a little. Just give me a touch. We want to all be comfortable, right? Matthew 17 and verse 20. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And so God is saying that if we can just trust him, impossible things can become possible because the reality is, and one of the things that I don't think anyone would question is how many you know, we know God is big and mighty and powerful and strong. It's not an issue, is is God strong enough to handle it? The issue, the question is always this, is God going to do it for you? That's always the question. It's not, can God do it? The question is, is God going to do it for you. And and what we and what I'm realizing, and we'll step into this more as we get going, there's a way to kind of remove us from that equation of trust and that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to I want to just continue to move forward let's turn to Romans chapter 5 and I, I talked about this just a moment ago but I want you to actually take a look at this passage of scripture because we know that according to Romans five seventeen, that they which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life God's called us to overcome God's called us to win God's called us to reign in life. And that word reign is the word basilio um, in, in the Greek, and it means to reign as a king. I mean, the kingdom of God's in the earth. And the king of the kingdom is in you. And God wants his kingdom flowing through you and me to where this world is not overcoming us, but we are overcoming this world. There's no place where darkness is stronger than light. You know, when we turned the lights on in the church this morning, light and dark didn't get in a fist fight. I mean, as soon as you turn the lights on, darkness flees. So I want to tell you is he that's within you is greater than he that's in the world. You do not have to be afraid of the corruption that's in the world, of the sin that's in the world, of all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world. You don't have to fear those things because your God is greater and mightier and stronger than that. And you are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are a part of something that's more powerful than what's going on in the world. As believers, we shouldn't be scared of the world. We shouldn't be scared of sin. We shouldn't be scared of darkness. We should fear nothing. And so that the king of the kingdom wants to, wants to cause you to reign in life. He wants, to, he, wants, he wants to bring dominion through you. He wants to help you to overcome, help you to win. Listen, I used to be under the dominion of a multitude of sins. I used to be addicted um, to drugs. I used to be a drug addict. Um, I used to be depressed. I used to be addicted to pornography. I used to be addicted to lying, uh, to cheating, to stealing. I used to be addicted to all of those things. I stand before you today. I'm totally free. Not not one of those things has a foothold in my life. I'm free from all those things. And, and, And I'm free because of His grace. Okay, grace is, 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 it begins, it's unmarried and undeserved favor, you, you don't earn it or deserve it, you just receive it by faith, but then it becomes God's ability on your ability. I could not get free from any of those things I just described in my ability, but if I can access grace, those things don't have control over me anymore, and I'm free. Gosh, and it's great. <laughs> like It's so wonderful. And God has that for every single person in here. And I, may have, and I may not have mentioned something that you deal with. Maybe you're addicted to worry. Maybe you're addicted to anxiousness. Maybe you're addicted to fault-fying and being critical. Maybe you're addicted to competing with the people around you. Maybe you're addicted to whatever. But what I want to promise you is this, is that God has freedom for you in His kingdom. And they which receive... An abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. So God wants to bring some reigning in your life, in every single aspect of your life. But the way that we access this faith is, excuse me, whether we access this grace is by faith. We simply believe. So Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. So grace, excuse me, faith plugs in to grace, God's ability. Everybody got that? Very simple. We're not trying to twist God's arm. We're not trying to get God to love us or to like us or to bless us. We are just simply trusting, believing, plugging into a strength that's greater than our own strength. Can I get an amen for strength that's greater than your own strength? See, in Christianity, you don't have to be strong. You can actually be weak. And it's actually easier for you if you're weak. Because His strength is made perfect in weakness. If you can yield and surrender to His strength in your weakness, then you can overcome. And when you do overcome, you don't point people to you or even your church. You point people to Jesus. And you glorify Jesus Christ. Yes. So your, your weaknesses will actually glorify God if you can learn how to tap into, uh, learn how to plug into His grace and just surrender and allow Him to do it. Amen? How many of you know the life that Jesus has called us to lead is an impossible life? How you know, it's impossible to, to live and move and to walk like he did in the earth, to walk in the love that he walked in, to resist sin the way he resisted sin, to, to, to love your enemies and pray for them which despitefully use you. How you know none of us can do any of that in our own strength. I don't even see how people stay married in their own strength, let alone all that other stuff I just described. For real, I mean, or, or how people parent in their own strength. Like, I don't got no strength. My strength is done. Is is tapped out, but that's okay because I'm not here on my own. Can I get an amen? And if you have an area of great strength, it's in that area where you really need to yield to the Lord. Amen. Because I'm telling you, our strength doesn't accomplish it, but we access this grace by faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, and 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 I want to just take a. I want to go back to Jesus because the answer is always in Jesus. It's always Jesus. (laughs) Whatever whatever the question is, the answer is Jesus. And yet we can say grace, we can say faith, we can say righteousness, we can say all these things, but our answer is a person, not a revelation or a doctrine. Uh, But when we talk about grace and faith and righteousness and peace and all these things, we're talking about different facets of who he actually is. But in in Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we find out that Jesus is the one that begins faith in you, and Jesus is the one that completes faith in you. That word finisher is the word teleotes, and it means completer, finisher, bringing a process to a finish. So God gives you the measure of faith. No one in this room has more faith than anybody else. We all have the measure of faith. But then Jesus wants to develop the expression of that faith and trust in your life so that you can be in a boat, in a storm, and not be afraid. So that you can be in a boat, in a storm, and not think God has left you. So that you can be going through a challenge, but having a sense of perseverance that you know that God is going to cause you to come out on top. And get an amen on that. Jesus is the author and finisher of that. He's the one who's he started it in your life, and then he's going to finish it in your life. Like when I was 19 years old, I was an atheist. I did not believe in God. I was anti-God. Um, is it now cold in here? Has it gotten cold? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> click it up just a little bit. I see, if you don't mind, can you click it up just a touch? I see some people crying out for mercy up here, so... <laughs> I don't want to make anybody cold, but I also don't want anyone to fall asleep. either. <laughs> and there's that fine line. Amen. Um, but when I, was a, when I was an atheist, I didn't believe in God. And I was anti-God and I fought against God. I fought against Christianity. I was rude. I was a jerk. I would argue with anybody. I would debate anybody. Um, I had a teacher in my high school I knew was a Christian. And my goal was to make him mad enough till he cussed me. That was like my personal goal. Merrill, yeah, you're right. We went to high school together. <laughs> wow, that's cool that you knew that. He was a history teacher. And, uh, and I did. I made him so mad, he cussed me. And, and he took me out in the hall and he cussed at me. And I just smiled at him because I was like, goal accomplished. You know? I mean, I mean that's a jerk. Like, that's a jerk. Um, but that's who I was. And um, that's funny that you knew that was Mr. Merrill. Praise God. We have since talked and he's happy that I'm saved. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, Oh, I have. We've talked. I see him in Kroger all the time, so it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. But um, at the time... So what I'm just showing you is there was a time when I did not believe at all. And I fought against people that believed. I made fun of Christians, right? So I was filled with unbelief. But there's something about Jesus where I am now preaching the gospel I used to attack. I am now on the team I used to fight against. I'm now, I've been preaching for over 20 years. And Jesus had a way of convincing me and wooing me and loving me when nobody else would and nobody else did. And no one else could change me. I, could, I couldn't change me, the police couldn't change me, drug programs couldn't change me, my mom couldn't change me, girlfriends couldn't change me, teachers couldn't change me, nobody changed me. I was like the man of the gatherings. I was just a lunatic. I had no respect for any authority whatsoever. Anyone tried to tell me what to do, I hated them for it. But, but Jesus wooed me, changed me, and deposited a belief in me. And then that belief has been grown and developed by him for these past 20 plus years Jesus. to where now I, I have a peace and a rest that has developed in my life that I never had before. Wow. You know, like, I, like we, uh, we had a battle with the IRS a couple years ago. IRS was auditing me, right? They were auditing me and they were sending me scary letters and sending me all this stuff, right? It's the second time they've done it to me. And the first time they did it to me, I was really freaked out, you know. It's funny how you cannot be scared of a lot of things, but there's something about the IRS that just scares the crap out of everybody, <laughs> right. And so they, they, they come at me one time, and I stayed wigged out, and we beat it, right. And it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, then this next time, they were auditing me, and it was over a two-year period of time, right. But you know what's awesome? I, I had peace the whole time. I never got wigged out. I never got scared. Everybody say experience. Experience, Experience, right? That's what perseverance is. And so, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, they were sorry. They paid me interest and everything is right. I didn't do anything wrong. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? Right? And so, but here's the thing. I actually enjoyed the ride rather than being freaked out by the ride because of the presence of faith and trust. See, you're going to the other side. You can either enjoy the ride or you can not enjoy the ride. Trust will help you to enjoy the ride. Faith will help you to enjoy the ride. Can I get an amen? Because here's the thing. God's dependable. See, even if I had made a mistake, even if I did mess something up, God's still dependable. And if there's one thing I've realized about God, that no matter what this world throws at me, no matter what I throw at me, God is still able to deliver me. And He has faithfully delivered me for years. Now, it's not always happened the way I thought it would. And it's not always happened in my timetable. But when I walk with the Lord, I always come out on top. Always. And this is a part of the development of His relationship with you. He's the author of your faith. And He's the finisher of of your faith. And there's a development of faith. Just like in my relationship with Ethan. There's been a development of trust. I would never do anything to portray His trust, from a small thing to a big thing. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to play a trick on you. I'm not going to. I'm because my whole life I've been very aware of how valuable His trust in me is, and and that's more valuable to me than anything that I could get otherwise. So every decision that I've been making for these past 18 years is to develop trust in him because I know there's a world out there that wants him, that wants to woo him, wants to take him and all those types of things. And I've endeavored to to create an environment where he knows that his dad's on his team, no matter what, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter what he does, no matter what he says, no matter what, I'm for him. And if he can have that type of relationship with me, how many you know that's going to give him a springboard to have that type of relationship with God? Because that's what type of relationship God wants to have with all of us. Yes, yes. Everybody in this room, you never had a moment of your life when God was against you? You never had a moment in your life when God was disappointed in you? I know that's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. God took care of all your sin 2,000 years ago on the cross. God has always been on your team and always one on your side. When I was a punk drug addict atheist in high school trying to... Get the Christian teachers to cuss me out. How mean you know, God was still for me. I mean, he was still on my side. He looked at me like, look at him. He think he's going to be an atheist. he's going to be a preacher someday. Look at him thinking he's going to run for me. <laughs> yeah, right. And here I am, you know,' been preaching the gospel for 20 years. So you've never had a moment in your life when God wasn't for you. Now I'm going to tell you, life will, life will hit you and punch you in the gut and make you feel to try to make you feel like God's not good. How many of you there are things that happen that we can't explain? How many of you there are things that happen on this planet that don't make sense? There are things that happen that would cause you to question the goodness of God. Can we be honest for a minute? And I want you to understand, everything that happens on this planet is not God's will. You have to understand that. If everything that happened on this planet was God's will, then God's not good. There are people dying of starvation right now. There are people being raped right now. There are awful things that are happening on this planet right now. This planet is not an example of God's will. The Garden of Eden is an example of God's will. In the Garden, no sickness, no disease, no poverty, no lack. Lush delight and joy. You were actually created... To have a pleasurable and good life. But when man decided to take matters into his own hands. Because he gave us free will. Because if he didn't give us free will, we'd just be robots. So he gave us free will. And when we took matters into our own hands, that's when all hell broke loose. And several thousand years later, how many of this planet is a dumpster fire? Come on, if we can be honest. I mean, it is, man. This place is crazy. Our our, our earth is a a rough place. But here's the thing. All the evil you see, it's temporary. All the sickness you see, it's temporary. All the death and all those many forms, it's temporary. The, the day and time will come when the kingdom of God is laid down and you will never see evil again. You won't see sickness, you won't see disease, you won't see poverty, you won't see lack. There will come a time when death will just be a memory. You'll never see death again. Why? Because death was never even the will of God. Death wasn't wasn't God's idea. The enemy had the power of death. And there'll come a time when death is the, the final enemy that bows its knee. So I say all that to say this. If you've had something bad happen to you, if you've had something happen that you don't understand why, I have, you have too. Please understand, don't judge God's love and faithfulness by the things that you've seen happen in your life understand that we are in a created environment that's in chaos as a result of the fall of man. And people have free will. The decisions that my dad made affected me tremendously. The decisions that my mom made affected me tremendously. You've had people make decisions that have hurt you and harmed you. And I want you to understand something. None of that was the will of God. It wasn't God's will that you get hurt. It wasn't God's will that you get abused. It wasn't God's will that that person died. It wasn't that will God's will that that sickness happened. God is a good God, folks. And when this thing wraps up and we see Him as He truly is, we're going to find out He was actually way better than what we even realized. Yes, At the end of this saying, God will not be unjust. I'm just telling you, I know with every fiber of my being, when this whole thing wraps up and, this, and everything opens up and we see things as, as they truly are, we're going to find out actually God was good the whole time. Yes. And the enemy was trying to convince us that these bad things that were happening were actually from God. They're not. God's not bad. He's good. He's light. Every way you turn him, he's good. He's not a bad God. He's a good God. And so all that being said, Jesus wants to develop your trust in his father, who is your father, so that you can overcome, so that you can win. Amen. 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 And in all of its forms. because And and I'll say this again to to prove that God's will is not always done on this earth. Can I have a water, please? Someone snagged me a water. I forgot to bring one up here. Um, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. He said, pray... That God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? That means God's will is being done in heaven all the time. Thank you. God's will is being done on earth as we pray and believe. If God's will were always accomplished, then why would we ever pray? If God was just sovereignly doing everything and we don't play any time, why are we called to pray? I mean, I think the fact that I even got saved was because of the prayers of my papal before he passed on. Sometimes we don't realize how much authority we actually have. The authority's been given to man. You know, I mean, it just has. That's this whole thing. We we're the ones that have authority. How do you have authority? You're in a human body. That's what gives you authority over this realm. And there's a battle between light and dark. There's a battle between good and evil. And how um, I many you know? there's outlaw spirits called demons, and how I many of you know, they need cooperation with human beings in order for their will to be done in the earth? Yes, yes. They, they, demons don't have any authority in the earth. They need a human vessel to speak and believe. And that's why you see what you see in popular culture. Have you, have you noticed how popular culture is getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker? And darker? how the music is getting darker and darker and darker and all these things. Why? The enemy is trying to influence the people that have the authority over this realm, human beings, to speak out in his will. And we have concerts filled with people speaking out death and violence and all of these things. And their authority is powerful because they have a human body. And the enemy's trying to get his, his will done. And i mean, oh, God's trying to get his will done too. Can I get an amen? amen. And the greatest enemy to what God wants to do is not Satanist, and it's not hollywood and it's not all those things the gra- the greatest enemy for God accomplishing what he wants to get done is religion man made religion is the most evil thing on this planet when you parade around as though you are good and you are how I mean, you know when Jesus walked the earth he didn't have trouble with the prostitutes he didn't have trouble with the, the, the drunkards. He didn't have trouble with the tax collectors. The only people Jesus had... How many of those people loved Jesus? You couldn't keep sinners away from Jesus. They loved him. Who do who you have trouble with? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people of the day. Self-righteous religion is the greatest expression of evil in the earth. Because it turns people off from God. I always say it was, it was Christians that kept me an atheist for 19 years. Because I thought, man, if i got to be like y'all to get to heaven, I'm going to go to hell. All the cool people are in hell, man. I don't want nothing to do with this. But I come to find out that the people who were representing him weren't actually as him. I met Jesus. I thought, wow, Jesus is actually really cool. <laughs> He's awesome. It's, 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 it's man-made religion and self-righteousness that is really destructive. Because it tries to act like it's God, but it's not. And it really turns people off. How many, and I say this all the time. How many know there's nobody in this room any better than anybody else? Amen. And that is a reality. And man-made religion does not present that reality. So, now let's turn to Romans chapter 1, please. And it's got a little bit more. Obviously, I'm not going to finish this. But I, this we're going to probably be teaching on this during the month of September. And really taking a look at this. But um, in, in the New Testament, New Testament Christianity is different than Old Testament Christianity. In in the new in the New Testament, you know how I mean, know a lot of times what people here, here come the kids doo doo here comes the kids look at them that's the next generation let's go they go into the garden I bet I bet they're gonna pull some weeds or something something exciting the teacher's gonna make it seem cooler than what it really is I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I gave away gave away somebody's secrets. We're gonna learn about Jesus and weed the garden. Amen. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. What's that? That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's a, amen. But I mean, you know a lot of times in Christianity, everybody wants to focus on your behavior, 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 behavior. Behavior is not the primary issue. If your your behavior is not really what God is not as interested in your behavior. As he is your heart. Yeah. He's way more interested in your heart. And New Testament Christianity, is not, it's not behavior-focused. It's actually heart-focused. And it's belief-focused. And we're going to look at that real quick in closing. Romans chapter 1, it said, in verse 5, it says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith among all nations. In New Testament Christianity, there's an obedience of believing first. God is more concerned about you believing properly than he is concerned about you acting properly. which is really important. And this is contrary to the flow of a lot of modern day Christianity. If, if we can get to your heart and we can get you to believe correctly, your actions will line up. But you can have good actions and still have a bad heart. You can do the right thing, but you can be doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Like I'm real careful in my kids. I never want my kids to think if they act right, I'm going to love them more. Or if they act right, I'm going to value them more or like them more. I never want to create that type of environment for my kids. I want my kids to know that I, I love them because of who they are, not because of what they do. Yes. I, I need that in them because if they think that I love them more, I approve them more when they act right then what will happen is they'll act right to get my love and my approval, but in their hearts, they're not really obeying from their hearts. They're obeying to get a response from me, which creates a dynamic, not of grace, but of legalism, and then they'll perform for me while I'm around, but when I'm not around, their little hearts will be filled with rebellion. See, just like God needs you to know that he loves you just the way you are, you don't have to do anything for him to love you more. You have to do anything for you to become more of a son or more of a daughter. He wants to take that heavy yoke of performance off of you and give you that easy, light yoke of Jesus. Your relationship with God should be the greatest place of rest in your whole life. Just like that word that Cheryl shared about rest. The enemy's the one who wants to drive you and bring you into this place of performance. No, a real relationship with God is always a place of rest. Why? Because you're loved and you're accepted just the way you are. You say, well, Jeremiah, you're just saying we can do whatever we want to do. Sweetheart, when you know that you're loved and you know who you are, your actions will line up. But your actions aren't the most important thing. Just like with my kids. My, my kids' actions aren't the most important thing. What's the most important thing is they're my kids. Like, I love them because they're my kids. I don't need them to act perfectly in order to be my kids. No, they're born that way. They're born my kids. Tell I me, mean, you're born into the kingdom. God loves you just the way are. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, God wants your actions to line up with his will because if your actions line up with his will, it's going to make your life better. That's right. That's your, life. your life is better when you do what God says. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen. Anybody amen. acted like an idiot? <laughs> A couple times. <laughs> when I do the right thing, it's better for me. It doesn't make God love me more. It's just better for me. Yes. And then how many of also allows me to be a witness in the earth. See, unbelievers don't care what you believe. They won't see what you do. Your actions are, are, are your place of witness in the earth. Man, you can preach the gospel to you're blue in the face, but if you're mean to people and you're rude to people and you're a user and you're all of those things, the, the world don't care about that. They don't mean nothing. Your, your works are what give a witness to who you are in the earth. Your works should set the stage for you to share the gospel. Oh. And, and and you're not working, you're not doing good works to make God love you or God like you. You're doing good things because it's going to make your life better and it's who you are, but it's also going to set the stage for you to be a witness in the earth. See, your life's better when you're not selfish. When you're selfish, your life sucks. Every time you slip back into selfishness, your life sucks. Yes. Like I was dealing with some symptoms this week. I was walking through some stuff. I'm totally healthy now. I'm totally fine. Fear not. <laughs> but I had some symptoms going on. And how many know when you get attacked with some symptoms in your body, how many you can get real selfish when you feel bad? Yeah. Oh, man, it's all about me. Give me some ice cream. Leave me alone. I'm turning TV on. You know, I don't want to do nothing for nobody. <laughs> and sure, there's a time to recover. But at the same time, the more selfish I became, the less happy I was because I, was, I stopped living for other people and I started living for myself and I really wasn't in the spirit, I was in the flesh. So not only did I not feel good physically, but I was also just focused on Jeremiah. And when it's all about you, you ain't happy. It's, it's this, one of the secrets to this world. If you want to be happy, live for other people. Serve in love. It's amazing. If you feel yourself getting depressed, you feel yourself getting down, you feel yourself getting... Do something for somebody. Not something that you can get anything back from. If you're doing something in order to get something back from somebody, you are still not walking in love. It's true. But if you are loving someone and caring for someone, not because you can get something back, not because you can get brownie points, none of those things. You're just... Let it be a pure expression of the love of God out of you. Then you'll be happy. And then it will get addictive. And the more you do it, the happier you're going to be. What am I going to do, Jeremiah? Ministry's everywhere. Ministry's everywhere. Go into Kroger. Help somebody out. Get something off the shelf for somebody. You know, let, let someone out in front of you in traffic. Be kind to somebody. Someone Tip somebody. You know, I'm just, oh, just be good. It's so fun. It's so, it's so much better. But we live in a world that teaches us how to be selfish in order to be happy. And if selfish people were happy, then famous people wouldn't be killing themselves all the time. And I'm not trying to speak evil towards anybody, but it's funny how famous people aren't happy. You ever notice that? Because you ain't happy getting everything that you want. You were created to serve and love. Amen? Anyway, so... Happiness is a result of being loved and loving. So anyway, I eventually snapped out of it, thank God. But I had a couple days where I was like, man, I just feel like, and, I, and, blah, blah, blah. and what it was, I was just too focused on myself. See, never think that you've arrived in a revelation that you're never going to be tried in that area again. Right. 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 You, you never arrive in any element of Christianity. And that's a real important revelation right there. You don't ever arrive. <laughs> you may have overcome something and you may have won against something, but in two weeks, the same attacks <laughs> goes straight back. And the moment that you think you've arrived and you start thinking you're awesome is the moment that you start frustrating grace and you're about to hit your face. And just stay humble and thankful and just know that it's a journey. And if you fall down, get back up. And don't be surprised when you're, you're in the flesh and you do something stupid. You know? Praise God. Because the moment that you think that you've arrived, man, is, it, that's a place where grace is frustrated. So anyway, getting back to God is, and we're closing in eight minutes. Getting back to the place where we understand that God's after our heart and after what we believe. Let's, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. So we didn't really even get to the part where I'm talking about what actually generates faith and allows faith to become expressed. We'll probably get there next week. Because the way I'm looking at this is so totally different than the way I've looked at it in the past. But we have an obedience of faith. So God, primary concern, you're commanded to believe and you're commanded to love. Those are your commandments. And and so... What are you commanded to believe, right? Well, Hebrews chapter 5, and in verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, that word first principles is the word um, archaic, and it does not mean something that's elementary and something that's like, you know, just low level and beginning level. What it means is it's something that's foundational. Everybody say Foundation. Because a lot of times people read this passage and they think, oh, this is just the elementary stuff. This is just the light stuff. No, this is the foundation that everything else is built on. Without what you're about to understand in this passage, and this is the obedience of faith, and this is the final place we go before we close, this is foundational, not elementary. It's the, and so, teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who only partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So, what I'm about to share, talking about this obedience of faith, this is the difference between becoming a mature believer or staying immature. And this has nothing to do with your actions. This has everything to do with what you believe. Have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. We must, in order for, to mature, we have to become skilled in the word of righteousness. And righteousness is not an act. In the, new, in the New Covenant, righteousness is believing that the cross was successful and that Jesus did a good job. And now that you're born again, you're a child of God and you're forgiven and you're right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation upon which all other faith is built. If that foundation is off and you start thinking that you establish your own righteousness or you're the one who makes yourself right with God or you're the one that keeps yourself right with God according to what you do and what your conduct is, you will never have strong faith because the enemy will always condemn you out of whatever you're believing God for because you'll think that you're not right with God because of something you did or didn't do. And if you are the determining factor, if your personal obedience is the determining factor on whether God's going to answer your prayers or not... Everyone in this room is in trouble. Because you are not going to have a constant perfect obedience unless you're a self-righteous liar. Just gotta throw it, just hit it. Because there are people who think that they're that, you know their poop don't stink. You know, there are people who just think that they're awesome, and and the Pharisees and Sadducees were those people. Like they were like, oh, we don't need a Christ, we don't need a savior, we're awesome. We do this, and we're this, and we're that, and we're that. And these guys were so focused on themselves that they didn't recognize God when He walked among them. They wanted to kill God because they were so focused on themselves. No, your personal obedience never gets you anything from God. Your personal obedience, when you listen to God, when you walk with God, it makes your life better. And it creates a, a place where you can be a witness in the earth. I mean, your wisdom is fantastic. But it's not your right deeds that make God answer, makes God answer your prayer. If you think that you are establishing your own rightness with God, with your Bible reading or your church attendance or your deeds, you are in New Testament disobedience. And you are not believing the cross is a success, and Jesus is not your Messiah, you are. This is a hard issue. This is just a hard issue. When you come to God, you must come in the name of Jesus. You can't come in the name of John. You can't come in the name of Jeremiah. You can't come in the name of Drew. You can't come in the na- any other name. We must come in His name. Why is God going to answer your prayer? Because you're in Christ. And Christ is in you. And you've been made the righteousness of God. And all the promises in Him are yes and amen. You can't cut a side covenant with God based upon what you do or don't do. And most people, this is how they live their Christianity and they don't understand why they don't have faith and they don't understand why their prayers aren't answered because they're trying to cut aside covenant. And they would never say that outwardly. Like the, 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 the words that I'm speaking are very bold and jarring words. But inwardly, that's how most people have their relationship with God. Like, well, God, I didn't cuss anybody out all week last week. And I didn't, I mean, you know, everyone has different standards. This is important. And see, and the goalpost is always changing. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, your standards for why God may answer your prayer may be different 20 years after being a believer than it was maybe the first week. My first vow to God was not to drink beer, <laughs> And I broke it. (laughs) That was my first vow. The bar was low, okay? The bar was really low. I drank beer at a a bowling alley. That was like my first vow. I'm not going to drink anymore, God. I promise. I'm not. bam, at the bowling alley, you know? Anyway, praise God. But then, maybe 20 years later, maybe your standard is is, is higher. And you think, well, I read my Bible every day, and I prayed, and I did this, and I did that. Okay, now, in my mind, I'm now worthy of for God to answer my prayer. That don't work. That is dishonoring the cross to think that you have a right to what God has because of what you've done. God, help us to understand this. You must come only in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Is it good to read your Bible? Yes. Is it good not to cut somebody out? Yes. Is it good to keep your vows? Yes. Are those things great? Those things are great, but none of those things give you a right to God. None of those things give you a right to have faith to believe. Everybody understand this? There were two people that Jesus referred to as having great faith. Only two. And it wasn't any of the disciples. And, and, and it was the Samaritan woman and it was the centurion man. What were the two things that those people had in common? They were, they were, just like Dan said, they were Gentiles. What does that mean? Well, they did not have a legalistic system of disqualification in their mind. They weren't concerned if they kept all the laws. They weren't concerned if they'd done everything right. They just said, I see a hero. I believe in the hero and the hero saves me. There was no concept of I have to earn this in the Gentile mind. There was no concept of I have to be good enough. I have to be circumcised enough. I have to, I have to, I have to. There was no I have to in either of those people. There was a, I see a hero. The hero will save me. And Jesus said, I see great faith. Because you're not focused on you. You're focused on me. And to this day, it's the same way. If you want to have great faith, get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes on Him. He saves you because He's the Savior. He answers your prayers because He's the answerer of prayers. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. It's all about Him. He's the one. He's the master. He's the champion. He's filled with grace and truth. He, it's all about Him. And when you get your eyes off of you, you have great faith. And that's why we see this when people first get saved. When people first get saved, how many know they have peace? They have joy. Their prayers are answered. They're walking with Jesus. Why? They have, they've been, they're so newly in this, they have their eyes only on Jesus and they've not been taught to look at themselves yet. They've not been taught to weigh themselves in the balances of whether they're worthy to get their prayers answered or not. But then what happens a lot of times is they begin in grace and they have their eyes on Jesus and then they go to church and they get taught how to look at what they deserve. And they get taught how to compare themselves with other people and to weigh themselves in the balances of other people. There's my daughter's strong vocal cords back there, praise God. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? If we can get this down to a heart level, not a head level, but a heart level, you will never have a day of your life when you aren't expecting God's best. Because God's best isn't based on you. God's best is based on Jesus. This is the obedience of faith. See, the question should never be, do I deserve this? If you're asking whether you deserve it or not, you're weighing the wrong person in the balances. The question should be, does Jesus deserve this? How many know you don't have a life anymore outside of Jesus? You died. You are a dead person, and you were raised in Christ. You've been crucified in Christ, and so. You don't have an identity apart from Jesus any longer. So when you're believing God and when you're praying to God and when you're thinking about these things, the question should be, would God God do this for Jesus? Because it's not about the abundance of good and bad deeds. It's about the faithfulness of God to His Son. And he has made you sons and daughters with that same righteousness that Jesus had. Y'all tracking me here. And what happens is, is you, start, you start tearing up all your little contracts that you've made with God. All your little deals that you've cut with God. See, you can be the 11th hour worker or you can be the first hour worker. Choice is yours. <clears throat> Are you going to have your little contract and say, I deserve this? Well, Okay. You're last in line. Praise God. I don't want what I deserve. I want what Jesus deserves. I want to cut line and be first. And be the 11th hour worker. And do the least and get the most. Because listen, who glorified God more? The first hour worker or the 11th hour worker? The 11th hour worker. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean we're not honest. It doesn't mean that we're not all those wonderful things that God would have us be. It just means this, when it comes to your relationship with God, you can't put your trust in your goodness. You've got to put your trust in his goodness. Amen? All right, and we finish right here. I just want to read the rest of this chapter out. It says, have come, I'm going to start at the beginning. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the orcas of God, the foundational principles, and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leading the discussion of the elementary principles, this is back to that word archaic again, foundational principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again, this is your foundation, the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Repentance of dead works and of faith towards God. What does that mean? That means I don't have an obedience of action that makes me right with God. I have an obedience of faith that makes me right with God. I turn my back on trying to make myself right with God or keep myself right with God based on anything that I do. It's all about Jesus. I repent from thinking I can make myself right with God or keep myself right with God based on what I do and faith towards God. And then I believe the cross is a success. And I believe that I'm right with God. Are you right with God today? Yes. yes. You were right with God before you came. If you received Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you haven't got saved, then just get saved. It's easy. Just believe. But you were right with God before you came to church. If you hadn't have come to church, you still would have been right with God. Because yes. <laughs> your rightness with God is a person. And see, and this is where we're going to be moving in the days ahead. The secret of great faith is getting established in the righteousness of faith. Because when you know that you're right with God by faith, the enemy cannot come and get your heart to condemn you out of you trusting in his promises. Because as long as you're looking for you to be perfect in order for God to answer your prayers, there will always be one thing you lack. But if you'll take you off the judgment seat and off the trial and let the blood of the Lamb be on trial, then all of a sudden your confidence and your strength are going to start growing. Amen? And see, I want to get this not just to a head level but to a heart level as well. Because, boy, if you can get this in your heart and really get established in this, your faith just becomes limitless because because it's all about Jesus. It's not about you and then I'll take it a step further, then your character starts to become limitless and your actions start to become limitless because, listen, you stop trying to do things to establish your own righteousness so your actions and your behavior are not selfish and self-focused. You actually start to walk in love because you do good things for people, not because you're trying to get something from them or get God to like you. You do good things because you actually love them. And then your behavior becomes righteous. You have righteous and good behavior. And your actions start to be filled with love. And you start walking around loving people and helping people. And your good works glorify your Father which is in heaven. And then the kingdom advances. And we start to look and walk and talk like Christians, like believers, like, like little Christ or whatever. Like sons and daughters of God. Amen? But until this issue gets settled all your motives will still be selfish and every good thing that you do will not be because you love somebody. It will be because you're using them to get right with God. Do you see how important this is? And how much we've missed it? If you don't know that you're right with God by faith, every, good, every deed that you do is not a, it's not a good work. It's a dead work. You're doing things to try to make yourself right with God. And it's selfish. It's not filled with love. See, the the new covenant is not just coming to clear up your behavior. We've come to clear up your heart. And boy, we get right motives coming out of your heart. Shoot. You You start knowing how much you're loved and that love starts flowing out of you. You start loving people and doing good deeds. It gets so easy to do the right thing. You start doing the right thing not because you have to but because you want to. Gosh, it's so different. And then we lean into the grace of God and then God's ability starts flowing out of us and people see Jesus in us wherever we go, not just in church on Sunday. Amen. See, I'm, I'm hesitant to let go of this moment because I know you see it. You see it for just a second. But it, take, it took us an hour to get to the place where you see it. And then, you, and then in the natural realm, what happens is we walk out of those doors and we forget it. I don't want that. I want us to see it. Because when you see it, it's like your eye, I see it in you. Spirit of God, your eyes are open. You're like, I see it but like we i want it to get i don't want it the light to just shine to you i want it to shine out of you so that you live as a person that's right with God Amen? Amen Praise God All right just got to shut up at some point so Amen Lord help us with this help us Lord help us help us help us to believe your gospel help us to believe that the cross was a success, and that you did a good job. Lord, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you help us. Help us, help us, help us, help us, Lord. Help me to preach it properly. Help everyone here to minister it properly, to receive it properly. Let us be established in the obedience of faith. Well, we think we can't do this on our own. So, Lord, we think, we acknowledge that, Spirit of God, you are the teacher Jesus, you are the author and finisher of our faith, Lord, and I thank you that you help us for this to be a reality in us, Lord God. We thank you for your grace to, to, to develop and to grow and to get established in this, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been pursuing this for a long time, and I feel like I'm finally getting to the place where I understand it a little bit better, and I feel like I'm teaching it better, and I feel like I'm living it more. And, uh, but I just see this place in us. What if we really believed we were right with God? <laughs> and we believed we were right with God apart from anything that we did. And we really believed that God loved us. And then we could really love each other. And stop competing with each other and stop being orphans. And like we became a family and we valued each other. Amen? Oh, I'm hungry for it. Anyway, so if you need a, a giving envelope, Tim will get one to you. If you want to give into our ministry, we're grateful. Thank you for partnering with us. We're grateful. Those of you watching online, go to gracepointgeorgetown.com. You can give that way. Thank you for giving. And um, we got the cake in the back? Oh, the cake is up here? Okay, cool. Okay. Well, Thursday night Bible study. Grant will be teaching this Thursday night at 6.30. Oh, and then man, that appreciate everybody praying for me about Comic-Con. Um, that thing opened up in the in the school, and I'm going to be able to preach the gospel in the public school. And uh, man, we we created this program in 2019. We did it for a year. It was hugely successful. I got to preach to kids. And what the what Comic Con is is it's an FCA model, but not centered around sports. I mean, you know, just the kids that play sports shouldn't just hear the gospel. In fact, it's these other kids that, that really a lot of times might need it more. I mean, if your kid plays sports, they've got to have parents that are somewhat invested in them in order to even play sports. And nothing against FCA. We love FCA. I'm a, I do FCA too. But Comic-Con Club is centered around uh, the, the, the comic books and the hero culture and, and all those types of people. And so we're going to be getting in a whole different group of people. And I get to, to share the gospel with them. Logan helped me with it. Uh, he dressed up as the Joker, the Riddler. The Riddler I'm sorry. <laughs> see, it's funny. I'm spearheading this, but these are not my people. Like they're his people. So um, I, I, I would love to see this Comic-Con club go all over the nation because, you know, when we, when we did that club, we had kids that were atheists, kids that were unbelievers, kids, you know, just, I don't know. I'm super excited about it. So We won't. I will be starting, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. So I appreciate your prayers for that. Because, boy, when I step into that school, it's on, man. You want to know what the battlefield in America is? The public school. I'm not kidding. I mean, that's that's where the war zone is. And uh, thank God for kids that we have in there that are believers and shine as a light. But I get to join the ranks. And so, but I'm going to develop this Comic-Con club. And I'm going to get this thing to where it's a program to where other people can do it. That's my plan. Because we... Like I said, we shouldn't just be after the athletes. We need to be after the kids that are on the fringe, the kids that are reading the comic books and the superheroes and all that kind of stuff. They're hungry. They're hungry for truth. Hey, everybody wants a hero. And, and, and Marvel and, and, and Disney and, and uh, what are the other ones, Logan? DC. <laughs> See, I'm not a very good nerd. I do the best I can, but I, I'm not very good. All these people have created something that's cool and and interesting. But you know why everybody's hungry for a hero? Because everybody wants Jesus. Jesus is the hero. Amen? All right, I'm going to shut up. So, Lord, we ask you to bless this offering in Jesus' name. Now I'm about to sing happy birthday. And I'm going to do it the way my my wife likes it. Because my wife always says when I sing happy birthday, I'm going to turn my mic off because I'm not that good.